0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the Sermon on the Mount, and how we can apply it to our lives. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to ask you to subscribe to this podcast. If you're anything like me, then you have a whole bunch of podcasts that you find really valuable for your life. But if you don't subscribe, then you probably don't listen to those podcasts. Subscribing is free, and... If you'll do it, then every Tuesday after we upload these sermons online, you'll get a little notification from your podcast player telling you that we have a new episode online. And so I really, really do hope that you'll subscribe. I think it would be helpful for you in remembering to listen to these sermons. At the same time, if you find these sermons to be valuable, then I also would hope that you would leave us a rating and or review. I was recently reminded about the power of sermons going out into the internet. On Instagram, we asked a question How did you hear about our church? And we were surprised when somebody simply responded by saying podcast. And so we probed a little bit further, and this woman had searched for something specific in a podcast player, and she had found our sermons, and she's been listening to them ever since. Here's the reality. When you leave a rating or review on our podcast, it helps for more stories like this to happen. It helps more people find our sermons and listen to them, and hopefully then they are impacted by the things that we preach. And so I just hope that you'll consider at least taking just a minute to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to this podcast at. We would sincerely appreciate it. Again, I thank you for listening, and I really do hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning. I am Chad. I'm the pastor of this church. Nice to have you here. Uh, a couple of, of things to say before I really launch into my sermon, and the first is that uh it was cold at Sukkot, but it was well worth it And uh, I forgot how much I enjoyed Sukkot And to celebrate it again this year uh, was a reminder And on Saturday morning, after we slept in our own beds I, I looked at Bren and I was like, man, this is just such a cool event And and so, I, I don't say that to guilt trip you uh, Because I totally understand if you weren't there, I get it It was cold, it was wet, you have no bravery um, All of those things uh, uh, But here's the good news, next year it's like September 20-something and so hopefully next year uh, We'll be complaining about the heat and 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 that's my segue not into my sermon But into how cold it is in here right now, and I want you to know that we're not trying to freeze you out There's no great plan. I know some churches do this to keep you awake during my sermon I think hopefully it'll be interesting enough that you'll do that on your own Uh, but we don't have control over the temperature and they seem like the, the district turns on the AC or something right at about 9.55 on Sunday mornings. We've sent an email or two, but uh, wear a jacket on Sunday. If you're a visitor, I'm sorry. Uh, bring a jacket next week. Um, and now let me segue with no real connection. Actually, we've had a really good golf season. And I have this irrational uh, golf fear. And it's uh, if you've ever seen me golf, then you'll know how irrational it was. It is. And, and this is my fear. My fear is that one day I'll be playing alone by myself. That happens sometimes, out on the golf course, and I'll hit a hole in one. It's irrational because it probably won't happen, right? But but it's the fear part is because, because like I would want somebody to see it and to share with me in that moment. It probably won't happen twice. I would jump up and down and then I would look around. And think nobody's going to believe me. It's a good thing I'm a pastor because they're going to think that I'm lying. I'm not even sure hole-in-ones actually count if you hit them uh, by yourself with nobody watching. It's like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, does it actually make a sound? I'm not sure a hole-in-one actually counts. And I think about this. I shouldn't because usually I I need to worry more about like sand traps and water hazards and all that. But I think about it every time I golf alone. Like what if I hit this in right now? It's gonna be kind of cool and kind of horrible. One time, in fact, I was uh, one of the three eagles I have. That's two under par on a hole. One of the three eagles I have in my life. I was setting up car insurance and I was leaning like this and I chipped it in and and then I'm like want to do a dance, but I'm on the phone, so I kind of did like this and and then uh, and then I I went on my merry way, continuing to golf. It was kind of a bummer. Now let me turn a corner and say that that I think. That it is natural, it's human nature for us to want people to notice when we do something good. We talked about in the series of sermons we just finished called You Matter about how, how little kids, I mean that's what they do, right? When they're about to do something, they say, Daddy, watch me. That's what my kids say. My son has come to a place where uh, he says over and over after every sentence, Daddy. And then he'll say whatever, Daddy. Say whatever daddy like I'm still listening we're still in the middle of the same conversation, Hudson, and it 's all because he wants he wants me to see him, he wants to know that I notice him. and this human nature applies especially when we do something. Good, we want people to notice when we do something exceptional. I've done a couple of crazy things in my life that I just thought were totally awesome, and my first response is to be like, please tell me somebody saw it. Uh, a couple of times I've made catches of the soap in the shower, and they're miraculous, and I think, man, I just wish somebody would know how amazing that catch was. Who's done it? Raise your hand. Who's made an amazing catch in the shower? Let's get it all out there right now. This is your moment for glory. We, I, I, one time, the greatest thing I've ever done, actually, the greatest athletic feet I was driving 55 miles an hour I had a donut that I didn't want anymore there was a girl in the back right uh, it was a friend of my sister's back right uh, passenger seat in the back seat and I said I'm gonna throw it to you stick your hand out the window going 55 miles an hour I just thought I'm getting rid of the donut it's better than saying I'm just littering it you know I'll throw it to you I threw it over the car she just has her hand there she doesn't move it's like the Sandlot movie if you've ever seen it And she pulls the donut in. And you better believe, I'm like, everybody, you know what happened, right? You're my witnesses that this thing happened because it's human nature for us to want people to notice when we do something great. Now, here's what happens, and here's what we're going to talk about over the course of three weeks. It's not going to be giving, uh, but we're going to talk about this over the next three weeks. When that mentality becomes a part of our spiritual lives, When we want people to notice the good things that we do, it actually has a negative impact on our relationship with God. And as we'll see through Jesus, it has a negative impact on the way that God rewards us. We all want people to see when we do something good, but what happens in in all religious circles, I think, uh, but what is against God, Christianity in many ways is that we transfer that into our spiritual lives and, and we may not say like hey watch how good I sing this morning at church you know like we, we probably won't do that and watch how much money I put into the offering basket but we do want people to know when we do things for God because we want their approval uh, and that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks and this is how it starts by the way we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount It's the longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the Bible. Last year, I taught on Matthew chapter 5, which is the first third of that sermon. And this year, year we're going to look at the second third of that sermon in Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew 6, Jesus makes this transition, and he transitions from really things of like the inside, like our souls, and how our righteousness should be greater when it comes to the things that people cannot see. And now he transitions into the things religiously, the things that we do as followers of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, that people can see and will see, even if we don't want them to. And here's how he begins, Matthew 6, 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. In Matthew 5, Jesus calls people to a higher internal righteousness, but now he's going to call people to a higher external righteousness. If you weren't here last year, which is so many of you, and you didn't hear the first part of this sermon series, then I would recommend that you go to creeksidebiblechurch.org slash SOTM5, SOTM5, and you listen to those, because the first part of what Jesus said, the internal stuff is really foundational. Because for Jesus... He thinks that all the externals should flow naturally from the things that are happening inside of our souls. What Jesus seems to have a real problem with while he walks on earth is people who are doing religious things but don't actually love God and that's part of what we read here. He's really bothered when people put forth all of these great religious duties, actions, things, and and really when they get home alone, when they are hanging out with God by themselves, they're not. There's no relationship there. And so it's foundational for Jesus that you understand that our, our righteousness comes from the inside out, that God is concerned with the things of the heart, not just the things of the hands, But having laid that foundation, now Jesus turns to these things that that we would think of as external religious acts. We'll talk about some of those in just a second, but there's three things in just that first part of that first verse that are really important for us. The first is be careful. That's pretty strong language. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. He could have just launched in and said, hey, don't do it, but be careful implies that there's a danger in this. Uh, I say be careful to my kids just all day, my son especially, Hudson. I just, I'm just, i always saying be careful right before he jumps off of something too high. Be careful. He survived. That's how my whole day goes when I am with my kids. And Jesus here, in the middle of this sermon, it's not like he says, hey, chapter 6. In the middle of this sermon, he says, be careful. And I think that it's easy to not be careful about the thing that he's going to say in this chapter. It's really easy to say, well, that other stuff is important. Obviously, I I, I shouldn't be angry at people, and I shouldn't lust. And, you know, obviously, those kind of things are important. But these things, I mean, we're split in hairs. But Jesus places emphasis on what he's going to teach in this passage today. Be careful, and so you need to pay attention this morning. And then this other thing, he says, he shows us that we can practice our righteousness or righteous acts in front of others. It's exactly what we're doing today, right? When we gather as a church, it would be really uh, difficult to do church if we weren't going to do some of our righteous actions in front of other people. I mean, w- when we sang this morning, there was other people around you and they could hear you, right? And now you're thinking, I'm not gonna sing the next time. Uh, but but people can hear you and they can see you singing and when we greet each other, right? Like obviously there's interaction there and it's in front of others and, and when we uh, study this word, like people can see you right now whether you're listening or not listening, you're practicing this righteous act of listening to a sermon in front of other people and frankly going to church in general. We show up here, people see that we're here or they're not here. I love that about our church that people actually care if you're here or you're not here if you're a part of our church and, and it's so cool but, but that all happens in front of people and so Jesus is not he's not commanding that we don't do religious acts in front of other people that would be counter you know so much of what he said in his word and what the bible teaches us what he is saying is that we are to be aware of be careful of practicing our righteousness in front of others to be seen by them that's a big difference uh, he's saying you can practice righteousness in front of others, but don't do it to be seen by other people, and you just think about those same things, right? If you're singing, if you're greeting each other, if you're reading the Bible, if you're going to church simply because somebody sees you, somebody's looking, you think somebody is paying attention to whether or not you raise your hands or you look like you're singing loudly or or whether you're really bowing your head during the prayer or or whether you drop money or a response card in the offering basket at the end. I mean, if you're doing that so that other people will see you then, what is that noise? We get a wind chime? It's a phone. Is it a phone? Um, God's really blessing this one. Uh, Take it all in. Then that is exactly what you need to be aware of. And he transitions. He says, if you do, this is so crazy, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. We will talk about the reward for the external religious acts that we practice later in the sermon and, and next couple of weeks in this series. But for now, you just need to understand what Jesus is saying. If you are practicing your external righteousness, your religious duties, in order to be seen by others, then there is no reward from God for you. If you're praying, singing, giving, filling out a response card, greeting people at church or going to church in general so that other people will see you, then God has nothing for you for doing those things. Now this is what's cool about this and we're, we're going to really hash this out in just a minute and, and I like this. Uh, I especially like this today but but if you're doing things not so that people will see you, it implies here that there is There is a reward for you. That's pretty cool. I mean, if it's your first time here, maybe there's a reward for you. That's a a big bonus, right? When you roll out of bed on a Sunday morning, it's good to know like, hey, I'm giving up my one day to sleep in for many of you. I'm giving up my one day and there is something from God for me. That's a big deal. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. We're even going to ask the question like, is that wrong to want a reward from God? And and the answer is no, but we'll come back to that. Now, the first thing that Jesus talks about, the thing that we're going to talk about this morning is giving, as in financially giving. I have a friend in this church, this is funny, uh, you know who you are, and and the first Sunday they ever came, they left and they said, you know what I loved? You guys barely talked about the offering at all, you didn't make a big deal about giving at all. And then a couple of weeks ago, I've known this person a while now, they said, man, you, you still haven't talked about giving, and we love that about this church, and it's going to be their last Sunday today, so uh, disappointing uh, for that friendship to crumble uh, right here in one sermon. I, I understand that giving is, it is a, a sensitive topic. It's a difficult topic, but I want you to know we don't have any financial crisis here. My, my salary will not go up if you give more money after this sermon or anything like that. But we think it's important to take the whole of Scripture and to see what it says about what we are to do and to not do. And in Jesus' longest uh, sermon, he said, I'm going to talk about giving. And here's here's where he begins in Matthew 6, 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Giving to the needy is an assumed action by Jesus for his disciples. You'll see this with prayer and fasting over the next two weeks, the topics that we'll cover. He doesn't say, if you choose to give to the needy, he says, when you give to the needy. For the Jews who were first hearing this sermon, that was like, that wasn't even a question. They never even thought about whether or not that was right or wrong. It's not like people could go down and, you know, fill out a form with a government agency and and get food or something. I mean, people indeed were totally 100% reliant on the goodness, the grace of those around them who had things. And when Jesus uh, came to earth and people started following him and Christianity was formed, the Jewish people who were at the beginning of of that, they all just assumed that that would transfer right over into the Christian faith. Christians are to be people that give to the needy. Now, there's a few things uh, to point out here that are really important. The first is that uh, Jesus, he, he uses this trumpet reference in connection to hypocrites. And that's a word that gets thrown around quite a bit. Uh, I have heard from at least one person I love, that all Christians are hypocrites. I've heard that, it's been said to me. All Christians are hypocrites. And uh, this seems to be a pretty common attitude towards those of us that are Christians today. And, And I'd like to say that it's fundamentally untrue. And usually when people say things like, all Christians are hypocrites... They're really defining hypocrisy in a funny way and, and, and how they're defining hypocrisy is somebody who claims to believe one thing but doesn't live it out. In that regard, all of us as Christians are that way. Uh, we all claim to believe that we should be followers of Christ and every day, if you're anything like me, you wake up if you're a Christian and you fail. And, and for me, every single morning, I start every single morning when I pray, I, I say, God, here, here's the stuff I did. Uh, please forgive me again. I wish it hadn't happened. I'm going to try not to do it again today, and, and I'm sorry. And thank you for the cross where you died for those sins. That's how, that's how most of my prayer times start, and they last longer than I, 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 that part lasts longer than I wish it lasts. It's just a part of it. That's not what, what a hypocrite is. I would be a hypocrite if I said, I never do anything wrong. And then I did wrong things. I would be a hypocrite if I got in front of all of you and and gave sermons and said, like, man, I have so much figured out. I have it all figured out. But Christians should not ever be hypocrites because we are to come before all people and say, I am a sinner who fails over and over and over again, but I am saved by the grace of Jesus. And and when we do that, when we are open and honest about that, then we uh, cannot Be hypocrites, because we are exactly what we claim to be. Sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 7, Paul, who writes a lot of of what we know as the Bible, he he just has this whole chapter that's so confusing, where he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Uh, You know, he just goes on and on and on like this, basically saying, like, there's so much that I believe that I'm not living out. Jesus knows that's all of us. It's every person, not just Christians. Christians should hold themselves to a a different standard, a godly standard, but it's true for every person. We all believe things that we don't live out. We all do things that we know we shouldn't do. And so this is not Jesus' meaning of hypocrite at all. Instead, Jesus... Uh, means something like acting when he says hypocrites, people who act. And the word originally for hypocrite was used for actors on a Greek stage. That's where that word became, you know, came into being. That's how it was used originally. And, and over time it meant somebody who played a part. It is a person, and specifically for Jesus, a person who looks at the world as a religious stage and then says, how can I act to have people enjoy the performance in the middle of this play, this presentation, this stage. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he says if you do things so that you'll be seen by others, you have no reward. He's saying a hypocrite is somebody who isn't trying to live for Jesus, who isn't trying to live for him behind closed doors, but when they get in front of people, they go, look how religious I am. I'm at church, and I'm singing loud, and I have my hands up, and you know, I'm engaged in this prayer time, and look how well I listen to the sermon. That's a hypocrite for Jesus. That's what a hypocrite is. Somebody who doesn't care much about their relationship with God, but but tries to make it look like they do. In Matthew 23, 27, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. That's a really good description of what it means to be a hypocrite. What a great job Jesus did with that analogy. It's like a tomb that's painted beautifully on the outside, but we know what's on the inside of tombs, right? Death and decay. And so Jesus says, Look, these hypocrites, these people who are putting on a show, this is what they do they announce their giving with trumpets. Now, we probably understand that we shouldn't do that, right? Like, when we do the offering at the end, if any of you busted out a trumpet, like, that'd be so foreign, and uh, it would be crazy, uh, it would be so crazy, but if you play the trumpet, I've always wanted to have a trumpet on Easter, and so if you could join our band, that would be great, but you shouldn't play it right before, right before we give, we know that, and it may have been an actual practice of the Pharisees and religious leaders, which is, is so crazy, uh, given what we know about Jesus, and who he was, and what he taught, but, but it might have just been, there's this other thing, it could have been, apparently the chest that they put their money in when they gave at the, at the temple, they looked kind of like trumpets, and so it might have been people dropping their coins in loudly, so that others would hear, or it might just be a metaphor to say, hey, don't let people know when you are giving. And this is something that still happens, right? We do this, and and sadly, uh, not with giving, but just in general. I, man, I, I should not have done this because I was preaching on this. But yesterday morning, celebrating Sukkot, and I see that my wife Bren is taking pictures, and I closed my eyes a little tighter while we were singing. It's like I'm not going on Instagram. Not uh, this is hard. I shouldn't giggle. Uh, I'm not going on Instagram looking like I'm not into this worship set, and and basically I. I just took what I was uh, preaching and did not practice it. What a hypocrite. Um, (laughs) And the third thing, and and this is so important, is this. If your goal is to honor men, then you'll get exactly what you want. If your goal is, sorry, to be honored by, by men, by people, then you'll get exactly what you want. That's what Jesus means when he says, you have your reward. If your goal when you drop money in the offering at the end of this service is that people would look at you and say, look, they give to our church. If your goal when you feed a homeless guy is to have, you know, people go, wow, look what a nice thing they're doing, then people will. And that will be the end of your reward. That will be it. Jesus continues, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here's the anecdote to doing religious acts, specifically the act of giving, uh, to be seen by others. Don't even let your left and right hands know what you are doing. Now, obviously, that's impossible. Uh, Jesus is exaggerating for effect here, but he's saying it should be so secretive that you're not even thinking about yourself and how cool you are for giving. The message of the Sermon on the Mount says the essential difference in religion, as in the morality, as in morality, is that authentic Christian. Righteousness is not an external manifestation only, but one of the secret things of the heart. If you will give in secret, then there will be a reward for you from God. Now here's the question you might ask. First question, isn't that like bad to think that way? I mean, shouldn't I just love Jesus enough that I just give money and here's a story, it's a great story. Matthew 19, 21, a story that we know as the rich young ruler. This guys come up to Jesus, basically say, hey, what do I need to do to be your follower? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. The rich young ruler then leaves sad, and then Jesus talks about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then, Peter chimes in. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends while he walked around earth, one of the first followers of Jesus, was not afraid to say what was on his mind to a fault, and this is what happens next. Peter answered him, We've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? Now at that point, if I'm thinking in the religious ways that we sometimes think in our modern Christianity, I think, what an idiot. You know, you can't ask Jesus what you're going to get for serving him. You just have to serve him. He gave his life for you. But here's how Jesus answered Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is not bothered at all by, by Peter saying, I've given up so much, what do I get? What do I get? Jesus said, well, you get a lot. You get a rule in heaven. That's pretty awesome. And everybody who gives something up will get a hundredfold. Now, the question is, what are are the rewards? If you're anything like me, and if you're like, okay, Jesus is cool with me getting rewards, then what? what are they what do i get what i mean if i if i give to a needy person if i drop money in the offering basket at the end of this service and i'm doing my best to not have anybody pay attention to me and i'm doing it all for the glory of god then what is in it for me well, for one, uh, you, you get to see the results of, of how you spent your money, right? Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and, and when, you, when you see the results of your giving, it is awesome. Like if you take a, a person out to lunch that is hungry and you, you see the, you know, the joy and the hope that you can kind of give them in their eyes, then, then, you, then you get a reward in some way. I mean, as you grow older, you know this, but like giving Christmas gifts is so much better than, than getting Christmas gifts. When you can give a person the right gift and watch what happens to their faces when they open that right gift, something they needed or something they wanted that they couldn't have gotten on their own, something you made that you knew would be special to them, it, it has an impact and it's a blessing to you. And so uh, one thing is just you can see the results. When you give to our church, you get to see the work that is happening in our church. And man, it's an awesome work. And none of it would be possible without you dropping money in that offering basket or giving money online, which is the most secret and consistent way to do it. But beyond that, we would consider the, the spiritual growth that takes place when we give. Giving is a hard thing to do, but when we give, it grows us in some ways. To make a small even sacrifice financially for the glory of God is to take a step forward in our relationship with Jesus. Praying and fasting, we would never say like those don't impact how we grow in our spiritual relationship with God, right? We would say like praying and not eating, like of course those are very spiritual things. And it is telling to me that Jesus lumps that in with giving because I think giving is hard, but I think that when we do it, when we give financially, it grows us in our relationship with God. But I think, I think that the real rewards are, are what we read about in Philippians four fourteen through 18. Um, this is a passage about giving financially for the support of church, uh, a different church in their case. And it's weird that I love this passage. There's a very specific reason that I love this passage. In my preaching class in my undergrad, this was my passage that I preached on. Everybody did one sermon through the book of Philippians in our class. I was Philippians 4, 14 through 18. I was the very last sermon. And so I spent a whole semester studying and, and tinkering with how to preach this passage. And so I have this weird, more than any almost passage in the whole Bible, when I've heard it preached by other people, I'm like, that's not yours, buddy. That's mine. Uh, and I've actually come to like it, despite it being a giving passage, because it's not, and this is how I preached it when I, when I taught it so long ago now, it's not how we think of giving. So often we think of giving like this, I need to give because I, I have a duty to give. Or we think of it like this, I need to give so that I won't feel guilty about not giving. And Paul looks at these people in this church in Philippi and he says something so different about their willingness to give financially for church and for the people in a church. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I receive full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So here's Paul. Paul has needs as a missionary, as a church planner. And he's saying, when you give, it was a blessing to me, but now I have enough. But I want you to continue to give. And we see this. Paul has people give to the church in Jerusalem. Paul needs things and he has people give to him. And he says, here's what happens. I don't have any needs. In fact, the very famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me just before this. Paul's like, I'm good. Whether I have plenty or I have nothing, I'm good. But I want something for you. And that's why I'm calling you to give. And there's three things that he says that I think are so Awesome. The first is that we'll be credited to our account. This is like our heavenly account. In other words, it's like when we drop a dollar in the offering basket, somewhere in heaven, God is saying, I'm putting this down because I'm going to reward you for it. Maybe a hundred times what you put into that offering basket, how much you paid to help that person with their rent, whatever it might be. I think that, man, we're so short-sighted. I mean, we're so short-sighted, right? We struggle to even save any money at all. Like, we just, we can't even save $5, right? We're always buying stuff. And, and so it's really hard for us to care about what's going to happen after we die. But what if you could just picture it as putting down payments on a bigger home in heaven? I mean, w- what if it works that way? And, in, and here's the question. I know this is a hard question. I don't have an answer for you. But, like, if heaven's perfect, how can, how can it matter what I have? I don't know, but it sure seems like it will. I want a bigger house than you in heaven. (laughs) I really do. I mean, if if one of us is getting the better house with the basketball court in the bottom and one's not, like, I want to be the guy. I want it to be me. And when Peter says pretty much that to Jesus, remember now, he doesn't say, well, no, that's a terrible attitude. He's like, yeah, I'll reward you. And when you give financially, something's happening in heaven. Jesus, who, who says he's gone away to prepare a mansion for us, I don't know if he starts to build another wing or how that looks, but something happens in heaven, and it says to us that we didn't just drop a dollar in there and, and have nothing to gain from it. We will gain from it eventually uh, when we go to live with Jesus. The second thing is that it brings adoration to God. It brings worship to God when you give. I know because of online giving, this changed. I think in in the old days, when I was a kid even, it it was like you you knew that this was a part of worship. The offering basket came by, and then you put it in there. And now one time you set up, you put your credit card number in, you give the the little code on the back, and and you say one time a month I want this to come out or whatever. And we've forgotten in in many ways that this is a part of our, our expressive worship to God. We worship God when we give. And then, and I love this promise, it says that we will receive everything to meet our needs. This seems to be our physical needs. And there's story after story of people who have just made a decision. They say, I think God wants me to give this much money to church or, or other nonprofits for his glory, to people, I want, God wants me to give this amount. And they give, and it doesn't add up financially, and yet they always have what they need to meet their needs needs it's miraculous Uh, there's just story after story of people saying I don't know I don't know I just knew that God wanted me to give this much I gave it and then I had enough money to pay my bills and all of those things now look some pastors all across this country this morning turn on a tv you'll see this lie if you give then you'll just get way more back like, that's just uh, the lie that, that so many people tell. If, you'll, if you, at the end of this service, will put $100 in, man, then you'll get that new car that you want or whatever. And that, that's not biblical. It's not in the Bible anywhere. You might drop $100 in the offering basket at the end and then barely pay your bills. But the promise is still incredible. I like knowing that if I'm giving to the ministry of God, then God is promising to take care of every physical need that I have. Now, my preaching has changed through the years, um, so I don't do this anymore, but uh, if you weren't paying attention, that was an acronym for CAR. And the way I said it in that first sermon, sermon is that if you will give to the ministry of God, then you can know that you will have a CAR. It will be credited to your account. It will bring adoration to God, and you will receive everything to meet your needs. Aren't you glad I don't preach like that anymore? There will be no rewards from God if you give to be seen by others, but there will be great rewards from God if you give for his glory to the people in need, to his mission, to his work. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now look, I understand that money is tight and money is limited. This is my daughter's piggy bank I wanted to uh, bring her big yellow Crayola crayon one because I had one just like it when I was a kid, but she said, no, I could not. Uh, and, and she let me bring this one um, that has no money in it. Uh, but she also wants me to tell you that she painted this. So tell Hazel, good job after the service. You clap, but she's down the hall. Um, but uh, uh, yes, yeah, so she painted this. But but you know, <laughs> some of you may be in this, this position, but I, I've been there where it feels like your children have uh, you know, more more money to spend on whatever they want than you do, right? Because you're, you're paying the bills and you're paying the house and then you give them an allowance and and they have more disposable income than you. You're like, man, if I can only have that $5, it's in that Crayola piggy bank right now. This is why, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, this will make sense, we started the quarter system. Whenever they leave their room, I'll take Hazel's money. Uh, and so uh, I, I just think that so many of you you look at this, you know, if I had the real piggy bank, it would be better, but again, talk to Hazel. Uh, it, it, you look at your money, you're like, there's, there's so little. There's so little extra money at the end of the day. And, and, and I know that, it, that it's a scary idea to give any of it away. Trust me, I have absolutely been there. But Jesus is saying, if you will, if you will, and at this church, we never talk about percentages that you need to give. Uh, we're never gonna try to give you, get you to give reluctantly or under compulsion. We're just saying, if you, will just, if you will, just start to give money for the glory of God. And you'll do it not so that people can hear it crash in there. You know, not so that everybody will know. You'll do it because you love Jesus and you see that there's needs. If you will do that, then you will be Rewarded by your Father in heaven who sees what is done in secret. And that is a pretty incredible promise. I know that it's hard. We talk a lot behind closed doors about how the hardest step for anybody when it comes to giving, which we think every person who's a part of our church should give to our church. We also think that every person who's a part of Christianity should give to the needy. We give 10% of our money away for missions at this church. We'll always do that because we think it's an obligation given to us by God and we also love the work. But we know that the hardest step is to just drop something in the offering basket, just to do something. Because you're like, I don't have hardly anything. But you need to understand you need to understand that when you give, you will be rewarded. Now, I know, I know. You say, I don't have enough and, you know, Chad wants the bigger house and there's no chance that I'll get that. But there's this incredible story that I want to finish with. It's this story where Jesus is looking at the temple and, and, and he's watching people put money in He's watching rich people. That's what it says in the gospels. He's watching rich people put a lot of money in. It's crazy that it's translated like that. Rich people are showing up at the temple. They know that it's their, their God-given duty to give to the ministry of God. And they're walking in and they're, they're dropping this money in and, and it, you know, it's making sounds. I don't know if any of them had trumpets, but they're dropping it in. And then this little widow woman walks up. And what the Gospels tell us is that she drops in her last two coins. And Jesus says, that woman has given more than all of the rest of them. If you have little and you give little, then you are going to be rewarded more than those who have lots and give some. And so this morning, I know giving is not our favorite topic, but I just hope that you will become a giver. And you will become a person who gives in secret, not so that other people will know that you give, but you will give because you want to see the work of God move forward. And when you give, you will trust, you will trust that you will be rewarded that God will credit it to your account, that it will bring adoration to God, and that you will receive everything to meet your needs. Let me pray that we'll all be givers. Lord Jesus, you know, it's always funny, God, when I get up here and preach a sermon and it's on giving, it feels funny, Lord, but um, I pray that you would use my words today uh, to impact the world, God. Uh, I think that we have forgotten what a uh, important thing giving is in the American church today, and a lot of ways we expect a few to give a lot so that you know the rest of us don't have to. But I pray we will not be a church like that. It's always been my goal, you know this, Lord, that 100% of people who, give or who go to our church would give 100% of the money and 100% of the people who go to our church would do 100% of the serving. Uh, Lord, I don't want to be another organization that follows the twenty eighty rule where 20% give 80%. I want to be a church where everybody who is a part of what we're doing is really a part of what we're doing in every meaningful way, God. I pray that we would be a church full of sacrificial givers, Lord. And I know that that, man, that means that's a dollar for some people maybe, God. Uh, but I pray we would be a church of sacrificial givers, whatever that amount is. And as we give, Lord, and I know this is how we give online, God, in our family, and, and it's hard to even remember that we're doing it, Lord, uh, but I pray that we would remember it's part of our worship, and it's part of our growth, Lord, and that we would not give, uh, you know, and just say, "Oh, well, I got to do this, but we would give, and we would say, God, use this, use this for your glory. I'm even reminded now about a story from somebody in our church, Lord, who who didn't drop an offering check in the offering basket one Sunday and then told somebody, um, I just need to pray more about whether this is the right amount. I pray we'll have that mentality because we'll see it as such a w- expression of our wor- worship and a, an external uh, righteous act, God, that is all about you and our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would use every dollar that comes in here to meet the needs of, of, you know, people who work at this church, God, um, the people in our community, and and people all around the world, the people who go to our church too, God. Uh, Let us be a church that spends money well for your glory, and let us be a church that sacrificially gives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.